0: Okay, we're, we are in Mark chapter 9. Uh, we are, if you remember the last time uh, we were in Mark, uh, we were in chapter 8, and uh, we were talking about, um, we're really transitioning, right? Re- remember I told you that Mark really breaks between 8 and 9. Um, the first half of the book of Mark is focused on the identity of Jesus, the second half of the book is focused on the mission of Jesus. And um, we begin with this incredible story, this incredible glimpse of who Jesus is. And um, uh, we, we talked a little bit about verse 1. Um, got, well, gosh, I guess it was back in November when we stopped. And uh, truly, I tell you that some who are standing here will not taste death, before they see the kingdom of God has come with power, strange statement. Okay, Jesus. Uh, possibly there are three interpretations. Right. One is that he's talking about the immediate context, which is the transfiguration. That's Jesus coming with power, um, the kingdom of God coming with power. Uh, secondly, is could be talking about the um, uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Right. Uh, that we know that that's when the spirit comes with power and the the mighty rushing wind and the fire and the tongues of uh, 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 many different languages and all these different things. Or it could be you know the obvious answer is Jesus will return right and uh, Jesus coming back uh, to end the age and um, that would be the ultimate fulfillment. I. Many of the, the apostles, many of the disciples were convinced that Jesus would return yep, but, within their lifetime.
1: But Jesus and so. Said it, hmm? And he wouldn't say anything that wasn't going to really happen.
0: Okay, so the question is, uh, what, is what does this mean, right? Um, and I think, you know, we talked in the past about multiple fulfillment, it could mean, it could mean all three. I mean, these kinds of statements sometimes have kind of a mushrooming effect, right? They kind of expand uh, out into time. Um, Obviously, the ultimate coming of Jesus with power is when he returns uh, with the host of heaven uh, to bring justice and righteousness and end the age, right? Um, uh, But yet, we know that that doesn't happen within that generation, right? Within the, those people standing there. Yes.
1: But uh, as we've seen in, in several other examples, when, when Jesus talks about uh, death, he, he, he uh, uh, tastes death here. He's, he could be talking about they're going to sleep, right? So, you know, when, when uh, Lazarus, Dies, his body dies. He says, "Well, he's asleep, right?" So, so it's uh, if if you believe in Jesus, you will never die. Right? The the important part will never die; it will live eternally. So the body may pass away, should be given a new body. So it, it could be all three.
0: Yeah, you know, um, like I said. The way, that, the way that prophecy works, sometimes it has these kind of multiple um, fulfillments. But I think the best way to look at it is probably uh, the immediate context, this, this glimpse that Jesus is going to allow three of his disciples to have of who he is uh, on this mountain. So let's talk about the transfiguration. It is a weird story it is a strange little story, and no one really knows what to do with it. Um and so uh but it's very important. Uh Peter will talk about it later. I'm gonna pass this beyond. Uh, Peter will talk about it later, and um, we'll talk about Peter's reference to the uh to the transfiguration in 2 Peter, and he gives us some insight into this very issue. So someone read for us, starting at verse two. I want you to go ahead and read through verse 13.
1: After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a mountain, high mountain, where they were all alone. There it was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus, But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him.
0: Thank you. All right, so let's talk about what happens here. Jesus goes up on a mountain. Right, so there's our mountain. Um, Jesus is at the top. Who's up there with him?
1: Elijah. Oh, okay. Peter, James,
0: and John. Peter, James, and John are going to go up there with him. Uh, why Peter, James, and John?
1: They seem to be the inner circle. The...
0: Okay, how do we know that from the Gospel of Mark?
1: Uh, he's the one who went with them to Jairus. Uh, he, uh, there's at least four different occasions when it's just Peter, James, and John. John. They had been with Jesus the longest.
0: Okay. Uh, Yes, Peter, James, and John. It's interesting. Andrew is not included in this, but there are three: Peter, James, and John that are uh, singled out. They are separated out from the group, and they are used as uh, they—they are given access to extra revelation. They are allowed to see the raising of the dead, the raising of Jairus's daughter. Um, And that's the first time we see them separated out. Now, this is the second time. The third time will be when Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Those three will accompany Jesus even more closely than the other 12. And so um, the question I ask is, uh, would you like to get a glimpse of Jesus? Right? Would Would you like to have been up here on the mountain and see Jesus transfigured? Yeah. Well, the ones who get that kind of access are the ones who step up to leadership. Okay? Um, So people who hang back, the ones that Jesus chooses for leadership are the ones who receive more revelation, who have greater access to, um, to who Jesus is. And you know this to be true. If you've ever taught, a Bible study, if you've ever stepped up to lead, you know that God gives you more, doesn't he? Because it's all of a sudden more important to you, right? You spend more time digging into his word. You spend more time uh, focusing your mind, your heart, and the Lord speaks to you because you've stepped up to do something for the kingdom, and so God gives to whom you know, much is given, more is, is given, even more is given, right? Right? Because we step up um, and use that responsibility that God has given us. And so um, if you want to be intimate with Jesus, step up. Step up. Step up to lead. Step up to give. Step up to, to do more for him. I think that's an important little side principle here that we see uh, in this passage. Okay, so Jesus is up on top, and two uh, special uh, guests show up. Who are these guests? Uh, Moses and Elijah, and the question is, why not Abraham and David? Why Moses and Elijah? Are
1: they saying, I'm Moses, I'm Elijah, or does Jesus know him because he knows everybody? Okay,
0: great question. Obviously, um, the disciples figure it out. Is Moses up there with, you know, two tablets of stone? (laughs) And Elijah's got, you know, the fringes of his garment burned from the fiery chariot? I mean, how do they know? Do we have pictures? (laughs) <laughs> like I could tell with a big long white beard, right? <laughs> that it was Moses. Um, the Bible says that Jesus is transfigured. First of all, this ho- whole idea of Jesus being transfigured. His clothing became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Um, so Jesus, it's like, it's like the curtain is pulled back right, of Jesus' humanity, and they see his divinity, okay, which is incredible. Why do you think that was important? Why do you think God allows them to see Jesus' divinity?
1: To the Jews, you didn't see God. The whole Old Testament is full of examples. Moses coming down from the mountain was shining white, but he never saw God, and... If you saw God, you would die. It would be a why do, but
0: problem. why do you think that the Lord allows them to see the divinity? Why is that going to be important to them in their leadership position?
1: The to yeah, so they the don't Lord. fail it's, as leaders. Okay. 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 Well, of course, he had to be God, right, to fulfill the, the, the prophecy and, and to provide redemption. It okay. had to be a sinless person. And God is the best and the only sinless person. So, it, you know, it just was proof that that He was God and He was a man. Obviously, someone said something interesting. You know, mentioned Moses. Moses met with God and 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 he came and was so bright they had to put a veil on him because he reflected God's glory. But when Jesus goes up on the mountain. He simply reveals his glory. So it's a, quite a different uh, manifestation of this same thing, that the glory of God is so overwhelming that you can hardly stand to even look at it.
0: Yeah, so um, think about a Jew, okay? These guys are Jews, and what is the first thing they teach you when you're a Jew? The Shema, right? Shema, Israel, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, Echad, right? Hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. 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 That's the first prayer you learn as a Jew. There is one God. We are monotheists. There's one God. He's up in heaven. That's it. There's no other gods, right? And now Jesus, what do we do with Jesus right? What does this idea of the Messiah mean? Is he another David, right? What is he? He's God. That's mind-blowing for a Jew. But this piece of information, this piece of revelation is going to be really important for these guys who are going to put their life down saying, Jesus is God. And they're going to establish this as the fundamental truth of Christianity, the distinguishing factor of Christianity from Judaism and from anything else, right? And so you can see why this is so important that God is going to cement this in their mind with this revelation, all right? So now let's get back to Moses and Elijah. Um, It says they're talking together with Jesus. So it must have been in the conversation, between Jesus and Elijah and Moses that, that Peter and James and John figure out who these guys are, okay? I mean, that's probably the logical conclusion. They're sitting there in the weeds watching this thing going, oh, my gosh, who are these guys, right? And Jesus says, well, Moses, man, I mean, tell me about when, and it's that's Moses. Are you kidding me? And then Elijah, right? He, they're picking it up from the conversation is what I would imagine, okay? And so all of this is taking place and it's just mind-blowing. Mind, literally mind-blowing. Now the question is, is Jesus a continuation? Moses, God begins the whole process with Moses, right? Moses is the father of the nation right? He kind of brings the whole thing together. He, he changes it from Abraham's family to the nation of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of, he's the, he's the deliverer. He's the lawgiver and everything. Elijah is the prophet, great, wonderful prophet, miracle worker. We've got this progression of people through the Old Testament. Is Jesus the next progression? Is he the next step <clears throat> or is he something else?
1: I think it's Moses is the law. He, he represents the law. Elijah is basically represents the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of both those things. He's the fulfillment of the law and of the prophecy, the messianic prophecy.
0: Okay, so we've got um, the law and the prophets. This is really important, right? The Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament. The Jews don't call it the Old Testament, do they? They call it the Law and the prophets. the prophets, okay? That's what they call it, okay? Their scriptures are called the Law and the Prophets, according to the Law and the Prophets, according to the Law and the Prophets. The Law is the books written by Moses, and the prophets are everything that comes afterwards, and Elijah is kind of the quintessential prophet. He is the, the, is the, the prototype prophet. He's the guy who, in many ways, sets the precedent for the prophets, if you read through the book of Kings, you, other prophets are mentioned early on, Nathan and other guys, but this guy, he gets lots of chapters devoted to him, and he kind of sets the pace for who the prophets will be. They will stand in opposition to the king. They will be uh, ones who speak the truth about God. They will be the ones who, they're, who are persecuted. They will be the ones who have visions of God, all these different things. And so we begin to see this in Elijah, and Elijah in many ways sets that Sets the tone for the time of the kings as who the prophets are and what their office is. All right? So this represents the Old Testament. Jesus is speaking to these guys who represent the prior revelation of God. All right? So, the next thing that happens is Peter. Oh, (laughs) Peter. Right? Peter's there and he says, "Um, um, uh, Rabbi, it's uh, good for us to be here. Really, let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, because he didn't know what to say because they were so frightened. Okay, so why did you say anything at all? Peter, just keep your mouth shut, right? Uh, But Peter has to say something and um, he doesn't know what to say. Why would he say something as weird as this?
1: Maybe he thought they were going to be
0: there for a while and that they needed okay.
1: protection. You know, okay, okay.
0: You know, we we're here to hang out. Why not uh, three little <coughs> shelters to hang out in? You
1: know, um, he sees these as important people that they should be doing something to protect them,
0: maybe. These shelters are like tents, right? The word is tabernacle, basically.
1: That's interesting, tabernacle dwelling. Maybe he wants to dwell in the moment. Okay. Like they kind of knew place. These are the greats. They're the servants. What can we do for these guys? Let's build
0: them a shelter. Let's build them a shelter. Let, we, we're here to do something. We've got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, Could he be thinking that they're equal? Huh? Could he be thinking they're equal? Okay, that's a really good question. He says, let me build three shelters, one for you, One for Moses, one for Elijah. Um, He's thinking equal. God's going to correct that here in a minute, right? Now, let's just talk about this idea of shelters. Um, What is the function of a tabernacle? What's the function of the tabernacle? That I may dwell with my people. But what else is the function of the tabernacle?
1: Worship.
0: Worship. Okay, a center for worship. But it's also a separation it's a protection it is to keep it is to allow a human to interact with God without being consumed right because the tabernacle had an inner chamber right and that inner chamber the holy of holies was veiled off closed room where the presence of God dwelt, and no one was allowed into that room, right? It was for your own protection. Why? Because if you see God, you are toast. You're done. You're dead. You can't stand in the presence of God. And so you can imagine these three guys up there on the mountain. They're looking at Moses and Elijah, and Jesus has been transfigured before them, and they're saying, something needs to happen here. We can't be here. Something needs to separate us from them. They need to go into three tents, or we need to go into three tents. But this can't go on, okay? Because of the awesomeness of this revelation. This is, this is Old Testament precedent, right? This is the way it works in the Old Testament. So you can understand why Peter would say such a thing. We look at it and we go, huh? of all the things to say, why would you say this? Well, it makes sense. When we look at it in the context of, um, of this idea of separation, you cannot come into the presence of God. And so that's the what story we have. of Hannah.
1: Out, What is it? How kind of do you pronounce it? Alcana when he goes into
0: the holiest of holies. And that, uh-huh. You know, and he's
1: in there and
0: God speaks to him when God's and he's going like God speaks to Samuel. Yeah, when he's in the Yeah. I mean, yeah. One of those stories. Okay, <laughs> so frightening. Frightening. Yeah. But then verse seven. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. Who is speaking? God, God, the Father. And he says what? This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Very interesting statement. Because he's hanging out with the two guys that represent the Old Testament. And he says, listen to him. Is there now any question about whether Jesus is superior? No. God makes it very clear. Jesus' superiority over the Old Testament. That doesn't negate the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. But Jesus is superior to Moses. He is superior to the prophets. He is the object of their pointing. Their pointing To Jesus. Jesus is not just a continuation. He's not one of three tabernacles. He is God. All right? It's a very clear picture, isn't it? When you hear this statement from God, what does it remind you of?
1: The baptism of Jesus.
0: The baptism of Jesus. Now, isn't it interesting that God speaks. Jesus begins the story of Mark in Mark chapter 1. And Jesus goes down into the waters, and he's baptized by John the Baptist. And God speaks from heaven, and he says, This is my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Right? And then we come to the second half of the book, and it's like we start over at the same spot. Jesus goes up on a mountain now, And a cloud descends and the voice of God comes out and says basically the same thing, okay? Affirming. And so, and at the beginning, we talked about John the Baptist and he is, he represents who? Elijah. 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 And now we have this big conversation about Elijah and Elijah shows up. So we start the second half of the gospel in almost the same place we started the first half of the gospel. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. OK, so you can see this, this, you know, this parallelism that goes on in the um, in, in the in, in the writing of the gospel and in the story of what what is happening with Jesus. So we have all of this happening. Um, There's something else that I want to talk about in relationship to the transfiguration. So I'm going to give you this paper. I've got a handout. Let me keep going.
1: So why the cloud? Today?
0: Why the cloud? Yeah, I mean, many times God's presence appears in a cloud. Um, we see it with Moses. We're going to talk about this here in a minute. Um, because one thing, when you think about these two guys, Moses and Elijah, both of them have theophanies. What's a theophany?
1: An appearance of God, a manifestation. It's a
0: manifestation of God. It's a picture of God. It's one of those party words you can throw out and impress your friends. Theophany. Um, And so both of these guys see God. Both of them see God on a mountaintop. All right? And so the parallels of their situations are very interesting. Um, And so I have this little comparison I put together for you of Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Uh, Mark 9, Exodus 33 and 34, and 1 Kings 19, 9 through 19. In the case of Moses, you remember the story. Moses is up on the mountain. He's talking to God, and he says to God, God, I want to see you. Face to face. And what does God say? No. 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 Why? Because he'll die. Because you'll get toasted. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so you can't see me, but this is what I'll do. I'm going to put you where? The In the cleft of the rock. And I'm going to pass by, and you're going to see my glory trail. Okay? And it's like, like the flip of my robe as I pass by. And that's going to be enough to make your face glow for 30 days, all right? And that's all you're going to see. And I'm going to to say my name, right? And uh, and so that's what God does. And so Moses has this revelation, this glimpse of God that is mind-blowing and life-changing, right? He's up on a mountain when this happens. The next... The next guy is, 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 uh, is Elijah. You remember the story with Elijah. Elijah is at Mount Carmel. He has the duel with the prophets of Baal, which he wins handily. And then he, he finds out that Jezebel wants to kill him. And so he runs away, and he goes all the way to the south. He's in the Negev, about to cross the desert, right? And he goes out into the desert alone. He sits under a tree, and he says, I'm going to die. There's nobody left who's serving God. I'm all alone, right? And he goes into this big drama queen deal, right? And, um, and so God sends an angel who makes him breakfast, okay? Talk about Cracker Barrel. And, um, and that restores his strength. And then he walks for 40 days all the way to Mount Horeb where Moses had been, where Moses had the same revelation, right? And he goes up into the mountain, Mount Horeb, and while he's there, he goes into a cave, and the Bible says that the presence of God shows up like a fire and a mighty wind and an earthquake, right? This is all the presence of God taking place outside the cave, but he is protected because he's inside the cave, right? And then the Bible says he wraps his face in his cloak and he goes out and the the Lord speaks to him in a still, small voice, all right? So you see this protection idea? Moses must be protected because he can't see. Elijah must be protected. So you understand why the disciples want to build three booths, three tabernacles, because they need to be protected in the midst of this revelation of God, right? Right? So, by looking back at the Old Testament stories, it helps us to interpret correctly what's going on in the New Testament. Jesus will come down from the mountain and he'll talk about a faithless generation. Moses will talk to God about a stiff-necked people. Um, Elijah talks about, to God about people who have forsaken God's covenant. The interesting thing about these three theophanies A little side detail is that when Moses comes down the mountain after speaking with God, after having this revelation, he gets halfway down the mountain and who's there? Joshua. Joshua is hanging around right on the outside edge of the whole thing. And Joshua will be what to Moses? His successor. His successor. When, Jesus, or when Elijah has his revelation of God on the mountain, the Lord says basically two things to him. He says, number one, I want you to go and anoint Jehu to become king. Jehu will destroy the house of Ahab and the house of Jezebel and end the threat to his life and the plague upon Israel of this house of corrupt people. The second thing he says is go and find a guy by the name of Elisha who will be your successor. Now we have these three guys up on the mountain with Jesus. You see why they're there? They will be his successors. You see how the pattern follows? You see, that's, what, that's why these two guys are there. That's part of the reason, because he wants us to see this pattern that's happening. Um, so uh, fun stuff. Any questions or other ideas or comments about the transfiguration? We'll we'll get there. I want, Yeah, I want to get there. But before we get there, I have one other thing that I want us to do. I want you to go to 2 Peter chapter 1. So this section, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 12. It's talking about scripture one of the most important passages in the Bible about the authority of Scripture. Peter, this is Peter, right? This is Peter, I was on the mountain with Jesus, Peter, okay? So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power." the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. So here Peter is telling us about the transfiguration right eyewitness account of the transfiguration what can we glean from this eyewitness account
1: made an impact
0: okay He's talking, clearly he's talking about the transfiguration because he's talking about what we saw on the sacred mountain, okay? He mentions what God said on the mountain, all right? And that God had honored him and given him glory. We didn't make any of this up. We're eyewitnesses of it. It's an important detail. It's an important piece of information for us. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as it is a light shining in dark places until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origins in human will, but prophets through the though humans spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's interesting. He's talking about the authority of prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, but he says it mentioning the transfiguration because the transfiguration is so important to the superiority of Jesus, okay? That Jesus is the ultimate revelation, So it it also kind of goes back to this idea of um, we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. Isn't that what it said back in Mark? Mm -hmm. The coming of the kingdom of God in power. Some of you will be alive when you see the coming of the kingdom of God in power. And then he talks about the transfiguration. So that gives us information about what he meant back there. Okay. So. All right, now let's go back to Mark. Elijah, you had a question about Elijah? Verse 12. Verse 12. Okay. Verse 12. First of all, Jesus is going down the mountain, and he says, I don't want you to say anything to anyone until after I have risen from the dead. And the disciples go, Okay. Uh, First of all, we don't even know what we just saw, (laughs) number two. We don't even know how we'd put it into words. Uh, And thirdly, what does he mean when he says rising from the dead, right? The disciples don't understand what Jesus has come to do, that he's come to die. We get it. Because we have two thousand years of established theology that makes sense to us, it did not make sense to them. The Messiah doesn't die. Not only the Messiah doesn't die, but if you just now believe he's the Son of God Come on, how can God die? It doesn't make any sense. You right, gotta give them some slack. You gotta give him some slack. It was mind blowing. They're thinking this has got to be figurative, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, no. what is he talking about? This does not compute. It doesn't work. It doesn't add up. All right? And so they're trying to figure this out, and Jesus is saying stuff to them that they're going, I don't know. Doesn't make any sense. Okay? There are some times when God speaks to us, and it doesn't make any sense. Okay? You know that God speaks to us, right? You know, we don't serve a God who is just in the pages of a book. If you think that, then you're making the same mistake as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? We don't serve an academic God who's, who's locked into the pages of a book. We serve a God who's living and active, right? And he continues to speak to us. He can speak to us. There are times when he speaks to us. The problem is sometimes he says things we don't get right God says things to us and he says something that we don't really understand that's for the future maybe and there are sometimes it's just like okay I'm just gonna hold on to that and we'll see if someday it makes sense I really feel like the Lord said this to me but I don't know what it means right I told this story too um in 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 the uh the well on on uh Monday and I have this friend, he's a pastor from Costa Rica, and he's going through a really, really difficult time in his church. This past year, it just happened this year. And um, he called up a friend of his who has the gift of prophecy. She just, the Lord says stuff to her. And so he called this woman up and he said, look, I'm going through some things. I got to make some decisions. I want you to pray. And if the Lord tells you anything, let me know, okay? And by the way, this is Thursday, and I need it by Sunday. <laughs> and she said, all right, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. So she went and prayed, and she writes him like three pages of things that the Lord had said to her, okay? She went to pray, and these were the impressions and some things that the Lord, she said, I don't know, some of it, okay, okay? And some of it spoke directly to the situation. He, was, he, had to, he had to fire a associate pastor that was working with him who was involved in causing problems in the church, and he had to deal with this issue. And, and that was confirmed in the things that she said. At the end, the very last thing she said, and this last thing is really weird. She said, but I saw in my mind, she said, I saw you and your wife sitting together with some friends. They were friends. And you were having a meal together. And you were eating pumpkin pie. What was it? I don't know what it means. There it is. Okay, sometimes God says things that are weird. So this guy, good friend of mine, wanted to come up to visit me. This was in in May when this happened. Shortly afterwards, he starts trying to get tickets to come up in July. Couldn't get tickets to come from Costa Rica to here in July. And so he calls me back like in August and says we can get tickets, really, we got really good tickets for November. I said, come, right? I don't know any of this, right? So he comes up in November over Thanksgiving. We decide we're not going to stay here, that we're going to take him to Dallas, to the Allen Outlets, to do good uh, Black Friday shopping. <laughs> So we're staying in Allen. We drive down on Wednesday afternoon, evening. We get there. It's Thursday. Everything's closed. So we're not going to do a Thanksgiving dinner. But then Cracker Barrel was close by. Cracker Barrel does a Thanksgiving dinner, right? So we, go, we wait two hours in line at Cracker Barrel. They say, okay, here's your Thanksgiving dinner. It's got your drink, it's got your meal, this is what comes in the meal, and it's got your dessert. And and I said, well, what's the dessert? The, the, the uh, waitress comes up, she says, okay, for dessert, we have pumpkin pie. I said, well, do you have any other kind of pie? I, I don't like pumpkin pie. Uh, do you have any other kind of pie, apple pie, pecan pie, anything, anything? She says, no, it's pumpkin pie, that's it, that's what you get. I said, all right, all right, all right, take the pumpkin pie. <laughs> delivers the pumpkin pie, and my friend starts weeping. And he stands up and he takes a picture with this pumpkin pie. And, and I'm like, what is going on? This is weird. And he tells me this story. And this was the end to this whole difficult situation. And this was the conclusion. And, and the Lord wanted to say that this is gonna to come to an end and you're gonna end and you're going to, there's going to be a point when you're gonna say it's over, it's finished. And, and that was it. You're gonna be sitting with friends eating pumpkin pie. You don't eat pumpkin pie in Costa Rica. He was not planning to come in November. We were not planning to have Thanksgiving dinner. If we'd have had Thanksgiving dinner at home, we wouldn't have not have eaten pumpkin pie. We've had apple pie, but it all lined up. The Lord, it was from the Lord. And it's just a weird little thing, but God spoke something that made no sense at the time, but it was reassuring, you see. It was powerful. You see, God speaks to us. God speaks to us. And God spoke to these guys. He showed them things. They didn't understand it, but later they would understand it. Later, the rising from the dead. Now we understand. It didn't make any sense then. Now we understand why this revelation was so important. They didn't understand it at the time, okay? Sometimes we just guard things in our heart. We we file it away until God makes it clear. The last thing I want to say about that, you said chapter 12, we're talking about Elijah. Elijah comes first to restore all things. They were waiting for the coming of Elijah, right? What does it say in, in Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. Somebody look up Malachi 4, verse 4 and read to the end of the, end of the Old Testament. The very last words of the OT.
1: Starting where? Did? Four. Four. Okay. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse.
0: God says in his very last breath, the last words that he speaks in the Old Testament, he mentions two guys. Who are the two guys he mentions? Moses and Elijah, who show up on the mountain. Moses and Elijah. Is this a dink? No, it's not. This is fulfillment. Elijah, they they were waiting for the coming of Elijah because this was the last thing that God said, that Elijah would come before the great and powerful day of the Lord. And they're saying, what's the deal about Elijah? He just showed up. What does that mean? Does that mean that the end of the age is here? What does that mean? And Jesus says, Elijah did show up, right? In the form of John the Baptist, right? But they, but they did what they wanted to him. But it's all tied in with this idea of Moses and Elijah being the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, the coming together with uh, this new revelation of who God is. We don't have time to talk about uh, the possession of, the, of, of this young boy, but there's one thing that I want to say. We'll talk about it next week. But there's one thing that I want to say about it. Jesus is up on the mountain. Peter, James, and John, up on the mountain. Everybody wants to be up on the mountain. Woo-hoo! Revelation of God up on the mountain. That's where we want to live. But what happens when you come down from the mountain? What happens? Confusion, strife, and confusion, strife, and unbelief. Right? All of these things happen when you come down off the mountain. When you look at Moses, he comes down off the mountain. What does he find? The people and the golden calf. Right? Elijah comes down off the mountain. He's right back in the thick of the unbelief and the fight and the struggle as a prophet. If we look at Jesus, Jesus' ministry, Jesus, if we think about the baptism of Jesus as a mountaintop experience, God has just spoken, the Holy Spirit has just descended, where does Jesus go immediately afterwards?
1: In the wilderness.
0: Into the wilderness to fight with Satan. The next time we see a mountaintop experience is when Jesus calls the 12 in, in Mark chapter 3. Immediately after Jesus comes down and he's confronted by the Pharisees from Jerusalem who say that he is possessed by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. Now Jesus goes up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. He's transfigured before them. He comes down and he's confronted with another itch situation of demon possession and strife and confusion and the Pharisees are struggling and fighting with the, with the disciples and the disciples are un, in, unable to cast out the demon. You see what I'm saying? You see what happens when we experience God on the mountaintop, when we have a revelation of God, inevitably what follows is trial, attack. So be prepared for that. Don't think, oh, well, God, why is this happening to me? Because it happened to Jesus. It happens to all of us. This is the ebb and the flow of our spiritual life. We grow in the valley too,
1: yeah.
0: right? We struggle here, but God is with us here. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil for I'm with you. My rod and my staff, they comfort you, right? That's that's the understanding that we have of our God. All right, so we'll stop there. We'll talk a little bit more about this next week, and then we'll get in into the rest of... Um, chapter nine, which is there's a whole lot going on there. So, oh,
1: yeah,
0: have what? Have some- yes, 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 yes. Sorry. <laughs>